1: Both on and off the field, he is Sean Pendergast. And pro football hall of famer, the general, Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey,
0: everybody, welcome in. It is the Utopia Football Podcast, a mailbag edition, a mailbag episode of the program. It's great to be with you as the Texans wind down OTAs and you're ready for mandatory minicamp. Uh, good to be with you. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Caden Pendergast mornings on Sports Radio 610. And, of course, joined, as always, by my good friend, the Hall of Famer, and, of course, our senior Texas columnist, senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com because he writes about all kinds of things, uh, John McClain joining me. John, it's great to be with you, as always, my friend.
1: Yes, it is. I'm doing great, as always, and I'm, I'm ready to go.
0: Ready to go. Okay, let me make a quick mention here as well. Um, and we'll mention this again, but if you want to get a hold of the utopia football podcast, we appreciate everybody tuning in the audience continues to grow, hit that subscribe button wherever it is you download your podcasts, of course, and um, we're really excited. Um, and the Odyssey app too. Uh, wherever you get your podcast makes it super easy when you subscribe, you don't have to go seeking it out, it just shows right up wherever you listen, but we're excited too. we. Um, May not see it this week, but we are in the process right now of getting this baby up and running on video as well. So be on the lookout for a YouTube channel. John and I are going to start to have video clips of the podcast on our social media platforms as well. Um, John, this is excited. You and I have to clean up now uh, for the, the the video portion, but uh, you look awfully good today, my friend.
1: That's oh, because I just showered and shaved and put on a shirt with a collar instead of my old bad clothes. T-shirts I usually wear with you, and I put on my Hall of Fame cap, which uh, is my trademark when I'm doing zooms, when I'm doing streamyards, anything that's visual.
0: Yeah, it's going to be uh, going to be really good. It's going to look good in this podcast. Uh, we're going places now, and uh, kind of mirroring where the Texans are going here in this new era of D'Amico Ryan. So we'll start there, and we're going to get to your mailbag questions in just a little bit. If you want to email a question, you, it won't get in on this episode, but Man, when training camp gets here, I would imagine it's going to foster all sorts of interaction. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. John, we'll get into the mailbag in just a little bit, but some big topics right out of the shoot. Let's start with the Texans, because that's why uh, that's why the people are here in the store. Um, you were out at uh, OTAs. The last OTA opened to the media yesterday. We've got a mandatory minicamp coming up next week. So a few of the faces that weren't there these last few weeks, I guess, should be there Um, next week Uh, but what did you see uh, out at Texans OTAs I'll say John both on the field and off the field because we had some pretty entertaining podium sessions yesterday as well
1: yeah the podium sessions were really good Uh, D'Amico Ryan's started off with with Nico Collins Dalton Schultz and then Damian Pierce was the closer and he was the best that guy's just a, a hilarious interview people get get laugh when he's talking he says stuff off the top of his head and the best thing is he's healthy he's fired up he's been at every OTA session he's working great with Devin Singletary he's talking about he picks Singletary's brain and they talk football constantly, and he was ready to get on the field when they put on pads. That won't be till training camp. But all of those guys said very interesting things, especially Dalton Schultz talking about how the Texans almost beat them in regular season. And what he thought about number 31, had no idea. He was a rookie until he asked him. He said, well, I'm a rookie. And he thought, wow, you, you carry yourself like a veteran.
0: Yeah. Dalton Schultz. OK, there's a few things to unpack there, John. Dalton Schultz. I, I think the question everybody wanted to know is, OK, why the Texans? I mean, there's probably a ton of places he could have gone to and get a one year, nine million dollar deal that have had a whole lot more recent success than the Houston Texans. Um, I, I just think it's and you were you were there for the press conference. So you can dig into the answer a little bit more and dissect it. Um, I just think it's an incredible amount of trust that Dalton Schultz is showing and a bunch of guys doing their job for the first time. You know, Dalton Schultz has been one of the most productive tight ends in football the last three or four years. First-time head coach, first-time OC, rookie quarterback. And, and D'Amico and, and presumably Bobby Slowick as well were able to sell him on coming to the Texans.
1: Well, I'm sure staying in a state with no state income tax had something to do with it, of course. George Kittles had a lot to do with it because I'm sure D'Amico Ryans and Bobby Slowick made sure to show him how they use George in that offense, which they're installing here. It's so the offense. Gary Kubiak played. Kyle Shanahan was here. Kyle runs now. Bobby Slowick is going to run it here as a first-time coordinator and play caller, and um, he'll put his own nuances in there and wrinkles, but the tight end, Is very active. Remember how many passes Owen Daniels? Caught 70 passes one year when he was the tight end who came the same year as D'Amico. By the way, a lot of the Texans legends worked that practice. And Owen Daniels and Andre Johnson, who work out together, and push each other, those guys looked incredible, like they could step on the field and play right now. Schultz knew he was going to be – I'm guessing he knew he was going to be playing with a rookie quarterback, but he didn't care. And so he seems very enthusiastic. He knows if things go well, he might get a big contract here, might get a big contract somewhere else. This is his sixth season, and he said all the right things.
0: Did you know he was named after Dalton from Roadhouse?
1: Had no idea uh, Roadhouse was one of the best, worst movies ever made. I've seen it 50 times. If it's on, I'm watching it. And uh, But I didn't have any idea about that.
0: It, it, that. John, that's perfect. It is one of the best, worst movies of all time. <laughs> I can't take my eyes off of Roadhouse, man. Hey, But he also revealed Dalton Schultz, and he, he revealed it to – I saw it with Drew Doherty. Drew does that 12 questions thing on the Texans website. It's really good. Um, he had, he had Dalton Schultz rank a bunch of the Daltons, Andy Dalton, uh, uh, the Dalton bookstore, like all these things. And Dalton from Roadhouse is one of them. And that's where he revealed it. That's where I first heard him say he was he was named after Dalton from Roadhouse, but he hasn't seen the movie yet. Like, how crazy is that?
1: Well, I'm guessing his parents have seen it numerous times. I would
0: hope so. Yeah. And they were
1: Patrick Swayze fans, my favorite one. In there was Sam Elliott, who's one of my all time favorites, but that movie is so over the top. Oh. And I always thought Patrick Swayze, when he took his shirt off, his head was too big for his body. And, uh, but at Ben Gazzara, he was tremendous as the ultimate bad guy. And then his, his right hand man can't say exactly what he told Dalton. I used to bleep guys like you in prison. And, uh, And then, of course, Dalton Torres, Throat Out. And uh, I just I love that movie like you.
0: It's great. Um, This is a podcast, John. So I guess technically you would be able to say it like FCC wise. But I'm honestly might want to keep the like the graphic details out of it. So that's a good (laughs) job by you censoring yourself on that one. Um, One more. um, And then I want to touch on this live golf thing before we get into the uh, mailbag. But you mentioned the rookie quarterback. And, and when Dalton Schultz signed here, he didn't know who that was going to be, or even if they were drafting a quarterback, although I'm guessing that they may have given an inkling um, that, uh, that uh, they would be drafting a, a quarterback. Um, but CJ Stroud continues to get really high grades from everybody on his maturity level. You know, John is, as, as much as he, his stock ebbed and flowed uh, before, like in the three weeks leading up to the draft, which wound up being just phony noise and information, The more that we learn about C.J. Stroud, the more I feel like I could see where Casario and D'Amico really liked him from the get-go, the more we've learned about him.
1: Uh, It didn't take them long to draft him. I know they like Bryce Young, but I think everybody knew or had a pretty good idea that as soon as the Panthers made that trade to number one right after the Combine that uh, they were going to take Bryce Young because he was number one. And the Texans had no reservations about taking Stroud. You know, you say Stroud was with the first team. He didn't have first team left tackle, left guard. Neither one of them have been out there. Uh, His center was Quisenberry, who also played left guard and because they had his short, he's the only thing he has in the offensive line for sure, starters, right tackle Titus Howard, and right guard Shaq Mason. Now, Juice Scruggs, the rookie second-round pick, they didn't trade into the second round to uh, not start him at some point this season, and uh, he got some snaps at center, also played guard, and uh, so Stroud, he's got his wideouts, and uh, and the the play that, that was the start, Best play of the day had nothing to do with Stroud. It had to do with old man Case Keenum throwing a deep ball down the middle, in which wide receiver Xavier Hutchinson went up and and he had guys covering him, running with him, and he had to leap, and they were right with him, and he came down with a ball. It's kind of catch you saw him make it Iowa State a lot. But if a guy like Xavier Hutchinson can do well in training camp and make this team playing outside, because they need to look at young receivers. People ask about DeAndre Hopkins. They don't want two 31 year old starting receivers when you're rebuilding. They got to look at young guys like Hutchinson and Tank Dell and John Mechie the third. And uh so everybody's eager to see them. And and I watch Tank on returns and he's just so quick and he's so fast and he just, he's like a gnat. Can't wait to see him when he starts to do it for real in the preseason. But I tell you what, Sean, between that offense, when they get everybody out there, Kenyon Green's not going to be back because he had uh, knee surgery anytime soon. But when they get those offensive linemen out there and they got Dalton Schultz at tight end and Damian Pierce at running back, this offense could be pretty good
0: Yeah, it's definitely exciting. I mean, it's it's so much more intriguing than what we've had to see the last couple of years, for sure. Well, it's you
1: a, well, you had a problem with uh, Rex Bleeping Burkhead?
0: <laughs> I had a big problem with Rex Bleeping Burkhead. And by the way, our producer um, James Jackson John tells tells me uh, in the chat here, like uh, metaphorically, got in our ear. You can let the expletives fly on this podcast, John. You know, if you <laughs> if you wanted to get graphic, I know that's not really on brand for you on things like this. Although I've heard you curse before, um, but uh, just so you know, there there are no uh, there's no guardrails on your language on
1: here, John. Yeah, well, I'm going to still put them up. I don't want to. I don't want to start a bad habit. I use on one of my <laughs> ten talk shows every week and go, "Oops." Yeah, that's Oops, true. It's not the podcast. That's true.
0: That's right. That's right. Those other shows are covered by the FCC. <laughs> Good call. Um, before we get into the mailbag, John, the the story that just took over sports yesterday, which it has so many. Tentacles to it is this um this I guess merger I'll use for lack of a better word. I think we're all still kind of learning what this is. But <laughs> the PGA and Live Golf, and I'll throw the DP World Tour in there, all of whom all of whom have been at these litigation odds with each other, ready to take it to the courtroom and brawl. Um all of a sudden are working collaboratively. And now the game of golf is going to be under this umbrella that involves all three of those entities. The two most interesting ones, obviously, are the PGA tour and the live tour because of the, the tension that's surrounded, you know, the live tour guys coming back to play in the majors and things like that. Now they're all got to be one big happy family again, John, what did you think when you saw that drop yesterday?
1: Yeah. They're about as happy a family as when the Hatfields and McCoys merged. (laughs) And the guys that I I read, I've been reading everything I can, the New York times, the athletic ESPN about this. And the guy that is the chairman is a golf fanatic. Who uh, who is oversees all this, and then Jay Monahan is going to be the CEO. But the what we don't know yet, the PGA guy is going to wear shorts. They're going to play three rounds. Are they going to play team golf? Fact is, Live Golf had was on the CW station or CMT. I can't remember. It's, it's so inconsequential. I don't even know which one it was. But the ratings were terrible. Everything about it, they couldn't get sponsors. And then they just wrote a big Saudi check, and now they're supposed to be singing singing kumbayas. But what bothers me is a lot of guys turned down that blood money that others took. And they said in one of the articles that Rory McIlroy turned down $300 million. There was a report Tiger Woods turned down $500 million. And if people like Oh my God! How can they spend that kind of money? They got a fund of like seven hundred billion dollars. Yeah, hundreds of millions is nothing to them. So, is there something in this agreement that would uh, would pay money to all the top golfers who turn down hundreds of millions? It's not fair for the Dustin Johnsons and Brooks Kepka and and Bryson DeChambeau to get that. Get that nine-figure money and the others do it out of loyalty, turn it down, and then n- them not get money to replace it because mm-hmm. they did the right thing. Eventually, here's who should benefit: charities. All the golf tournaments on the PGA tour designate a lot of their profits for local charities. Mm-hmm. And if, say, a tournament gives 10 million to local charities. Hopefully now they'll be able to give twenty or thirty million to yeah. local charities, so the players will earn more money and the charities will benefit. And it won't be long after a season or two in which they're all back together, and we're not thinking much about it.
0: I guess John, just to put a bow on this and kind of tie it back to to football, um, I saw Andrew Brandt tweet something to this effect. Andrew Brandt, former agent, former front office member of the Green Bay Packers, who is pretty heavily involved in the business of sports from a media standpoint. Um, and I saw other people tweet this too. Like, okay, if you think this stops with golf, the Saudi money is coming in some way, shape or form uh, for the NBA, um, for the NFL. Do you think that there will be a day where uh, there's uh, Saudi money that takes the, whatever the value, whatever, I guess, what is 5 billion or maybe 6 billion is the highest one that's about to be with Washington what if some Saudi money came in offering double that, you know, do, do you think we see a day in our lifetimes where there is a, a, a team or maybe an alternate league, maybe the Saudis buy the XFL and start doing a USFL thing from back in the day? Like, where do you think this goes in terms of professional team sports? If anywhere?
1: the NFL has ruled against foreign investments, but, the NFL's got a price. And if they if they somebody offered, say $50 billion for a franchise, you think the NFL wouldn't take that? Of course it would change its rules and take it. Uh, the Saudis bought the Newcastle team in soccer and they've been great. They've put money into it. They hired good people. When they lost a the player, they went out and paid like $70 million in a transfer fee to replace him. And they're like, oh, let's go get some more. So they loaded up and kind of like their own dream team, and, and they've done very well. And uh, the, guy, the guy who oversees, I can't pronounce his name, the Liv and who was the mastermind behind it and is the chairman of the new venture, he, uh, he's the primary owner, but he stays out of it. And so they've handled that real well, and I think it's coming. I think it might start first in the NBA because they're more global than any sport, but I'll guarantee it's coming. Uh, Mike Florio on Pro Football Talk, he had a thing about starting their own league, go back to the old rules because a lot of people don't like the current rules and get big TV contracts, give give money like the old leagues used to to get players to go, but Saudis are not going to run out of money. And then would they merge? So I don't know if I'll be alive to see it, Sean, but if Saudi money's coming to professional sports here, if indeed they want to get involved.
0: My prediction, John, and it solely has to do with one person, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, the Saudis are going to come in and pay 10 times whatever Dwayne The Rock Johnson paid for the XFL. Why? Because everything Dwayne The Rock Johnson touches turns to gold. <laughs> if anybody is going to take that league, it's, it's, it's on its third try now, and actually turn it into something that somebody else comes in and buys and, and, and pays 10 times market value for it, it would be The Rock for sure.
1: We'd be stupid. Like, say – About expansion, say the NFL is going to expand and somebody comes in and says, well, we'll give you 50 billion expansion fee. You think they're going to turn out, turn that down? Heck no. Messi's Messi's gone over there to play because they gave Lionel Messi more money than he ever dreamed about. Mm -hmm. Now I think he's leaving. But uh, uh, when it comes to money, nobody can compete.
0: Yep, absolutely. All right, John, let's get to the mailbag. mailbag at gmail.com. we got a ton of emails. We're not going to get to all of them if you sent one in. Uh, and you don't hear it, just keep in mind, you may hear it on a future episode, especially this time of year. A lot of these topics that you guys email about, evergreen nicely. During the regular season, it gets a little more week-specific. So um, so keep sending them in, mailbag at gmail.com. Hell, some of them wind up as topics on Pain and Pendergast on Sports Radio 610, if I'm being honest um let's start with our guy chris in the atl frequent emailer to the podcast john says i very much enjoyed hearing the positives on players and their performance at otas from the last episode but it all can't be rosy right now so i'm going to put out my curmudgeon fan cap and ask who have you heard is struggling at otas who is the jose abreu of texans otas and should we be concerned john have you heard any news you know for example like in tennessee Those clips show up of Will Levis and everybody goes crazy and J.J. Watt went crazy over that and whatnot. Anything you've seen or heard out of OTAs that Texan fans should be concerned about right now?
1: No, just about certain players not there. Sheldon Rankins hadn't been there. Steven Nelson hadn't been there. Laramie Tunsil's outspending all his money after they made him the highest paid player offensive lineman NFL history, and they'll all be back, I'm assuming, for the mandatory mini camp. I mean, I've seen all the quarterbacks make bad throws, seen players drop passes, but it's nothing that any of the coaches act like is alarming. As as we've talked about before, OTAs are about the mental part. You don't hit, you don't cover, you don't put on pads, you don't do anything. The coaches want to see, and it's a learning experience for the coaches too, what they teach in a classroom, what they take to the field, and if certain guy, hmm, he can't learn that fast, I'm going to have to teach him differently. Or that guy, boy, he's smarter than I thought he was. I can, I can turn up the process for him. So it's mainly about the middle.
0: All right, next question, John, out of the mailbag. I like this one. Um, Adam in Midtown says, which 2022 rookie, so rookie from last year's class, the Stingley-Petrie class, would you say has the best chance for a breakout season in 2023? That's the entire question, John. So I guess some of it depends on how you and I define breakout season. I've got an an idea, maybe a mini power ranking in my head, Um, but I'll start with you. Um, Who do you think has the best chance from last year's rookie class to, to have a breakout season this year?
1: Most players make their biggest improvement between their first and second season because they learn what it's like to be a professional. They start eating right at the facility. They've got everything at their fingertips they could need to improve. If you don't make that jump in the second year and you do it by the third, it's probably because you're pretty slow picking stuff up. So I'm going to pick the guy uh, who was the best rookie last year, and that's Jalen Petrie, second Bears. And uh, Petrie, I think, uh, based on everything I've heard from them, how impressed they are about him, how eager he is based on what he learned. Last year, remember, he made a lot of mistakes taking angles to the ball and missing tackles. That was never an issue at Baylor. He was a sure tackler. Well, he ended up second. Maybe he did it on purpose, missed some tackles, so he didn't break D'Amico Ryan's rookie record. He only finished second. And so I'm saying Jalen Petrie because he was – the best rookie last season
0: okay I like that theory he missed tackles so it would make it easier for them to get D'Amico Ryans as a <laughs> head coach knowing his record for rookie <laughs> tackles was still intact um I like that well and for what it's worth D'Amico Ryans uh seems to love Jalen Petrie Petrie would have been my choice too John um I think there's a promo running on the station where I actually say that this week and I for me it's Petrie because one Unlike some of these other rookies, he played every game last season. He was durable last year. You know, Damian missed some time. Uh, Stingley has missed time every year since his freshman year at LSU. Kenyon Green had to be put back together again this year, like Humpty Dumpty in the offseason. He had a knee surgery. Um, I'd really like to see one or both of those first-round rookies from that class break out. And if I had to pick one for this year, it would certainly be Derek Stingley Jr. playing in D'Amico Ryan's defense with, in theory, a better front seven to help him out. Um, but mine is Petrie as well. I'm just so impressed by the kid. And I feel like you you laid it out perfectly what his positives and negatives were last year. I feel like the tackling thing is totally fixable for him. Because as you point out, John, you watched every snap of the kid at Baylor. Um, he wasn't a bad tackler in college. He knows that tackling was an issue for him last year. He's going to have a better front seven. He shouldn't have nearly as many missed tackles that involve him with a a freight train running back like Derrick Henry running straight at him because nobody touched him in the the front third of the defense there. So mine would be Petrie. I would say Stingley second. Um, And then, uh, you know, Christian Harris is another one, John, you know, a rookie from last year who he's going to get the benefit of a full training camp now, barring injury, knock on wood. Um, He didn't have a training camp at all last year, and I feel like that contributed to him obviously missing games but also kind of getting off to a – a slow start. The one that intrigues me, John, is, um, is uh, well, Mechie. Mechie's a total wild card because he had, you know, he's coming off of cancer. Tegan Catoriano did some good things towards the end of last year. And I know they signed Dalton Schultz, but I feel like they could be a nice complement to each other um, in that tight end room. He showed kind of a knack in the red zone. He showed some good athleticism. He was drafted for his blocking, but I thought at times he showed good hands last year, too. Um, that's an intriguing kind of wild card in that rookie class
1: to me. six, six, and he's a good red zone target. He has he had two touchdowns. Texans have only six touchdowns returning from last season, which is just mind boggling. touchdowns, out, you're talking, yeah, that yeah. shows how utter, utterly pathetic they were on offense, and uh. Uh, I have a column on that subject on SportsRadio610.com, and uh, I was watching Christian Harris in practice, and he was all he and, and Christian Kirksey were still the first team linebackers. And watching Harris take off and run, he's very fast. He looks like he's gained some weight from being on a weight program, and so he was he was making moves in coverage. He seemed very sure of himself. I think we're going to see him. Uh, be a big-time playmaker on defense, uh, along with Will Anderson, Jr., who should be their most talented player.
0: All right, John. Harold in the Galleria asks this. Along those lines, um, the last two seasons with Nick Casario's draft classes, we've seen day three rookies contributing to the Texans in a big, big way. Uh, In 2021, he mentions Roy Lopez, who became a starter that season as a rookie in the sixth round Last season, it was Damian Pierce in the fourth round, which day three rookie in this class, the 2023 class, do you think has the best chance to be that type of contributor? Maybe not to the level of Pierce and Pierce was on his way to a Pro Bowl, possibly, but be a a contributor and like a regular starter in the upcoming season.
1: A lot of what Pierce did was based on opportunity and how dreadful they were in the backfield. And uh, former offensive coordinator Pat Hamilton had a dream that Rex bleeping Burkhead could actually carry the ball and run for yards. But Rex is not around. I think the next time we see him, he'll be a coach somewhere. But uh, Xavier Hutchinson, who I mentioned earlier, caught 105 passes last year at Iowa State. He just Mm. tore up. The Big Twelve, a sixth-round pick. You know, he didn't work out well. He ran in the four fives, just like DeAndre Hopkins ran in the four fives when he came out in 13 and so I'm looking for Hutchinson he's a big target he plays on the boundary caught a lot of balls as a three-year starter he's got experience he's smart so my money's on Hutchinson
0: yeah I um I, Hutchinson's a good one he, he sure is generating a lot of buzz in those articles about sleeper picks in day three there's a lot of people that really like his game um I'm rooting for Dylan Horton John at a TCU get into that rotation along the along the edge I mean they they obviously drafted Will Anderson, Jonathan Grenard's in a contract year. Jerry Hughes is sort of the veteran presence. After those three guys, I feel like there's the potential there for snaps to be be available. And if uh, Dylan Horton can work his way in, that might be my fourth rounder out of uh, TCU. All right, John, our friend Dave Howard emails in. He says, Sean, you were a sales manager. If you had a salesman who hated being part of the bureaucracy and hated coming to meetings, but consistently led the team in sales, you'd be fine with it. That's how I feel about DeAndre Hopkins refusing to practice. There's no evidence he was a negative influence in the locker room. I remember an alleged quote from Jack Easterby that he wanted Hopkins gone rather than Bill O'Brien. Uh, Dave goes on to say, the Texans receiving Corps has questions, promise, but questions. I know John thinks the Texans will not sign Hop. He's probably right. But if the money is right, and that's the key question, I'd be great with it. Added bonus for fans. I want him in the ring of honor, and a reunion might do it. We'll get to the ring of honor in a second. Um but, John, you, you poured cold water on this in the last episode. So, for those who missed the lap ep- last episode, I'll go ahead and let you do it one more time here on Hopkins.
1: No chance. And, Dave, Bill O'Brien and Hopkins hated each other. Hated each other.
0: Hated each other. Um, what about – And I, the- I'll
1: say that. Maybe hate's too strong. They didn't respect each other. That's yeah. what I'll say. Yeah. He, Bill didn't like the way Hop operated, even though he played on Sundays. And uh, Hop didn't like to practice. He didn't like to practice at Arizona. Now, the difference is he always produced here. He only missed two games in his career here. And that used to drive O'Brien crazy. And then Hop, he wanted more money than they were going to pay. He wanted out. And uh, he, had, did, did, had, he didn't respect O'Brien at all. That's why I don't think those two will be reunited in New England. I could be wrong. But uh, there's no way he's coming here, and they're going to start two 31-year-old receivers and take up playing time, all these young guys they need to see. And why in the world would wanna come to Houston, a team that's rebuilding, when he's got a chance to go to a team that could make the playoffs and the Super Bowl?
0: Great tax mex John. He's a big fan of great Tex-Mex and really good barbecue, perhaps. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Money is the obvious. Well, go to him. Kansas
1: City, then.
0: Oh, boy, John, the Houstonians listening to this, they're going to come storming at your door now. You're putting over Kansas City barbecue over over Houston barbecue. Uh, The Ring of Honor question at the end there, John, is DeAndre Hopkins a future Ring of Honor member for the Houston Texans?
1: I think without a doubt he is. I think the next one that deserves to go in is J.J. Watt, of course, And the Pittsburgh game this season would be the ideal time to do it. I think Jonathan Joseph is the one after him that deserves to go, and I think after Hop's career's over, he'll definitely be put in the Ring of Honor.
0: What about Dwayne Brown, John?
1: Uh the way the way Dwayne's career ended here. Yeah, he basically calling Bob McNair a racist to get out. Yeah, uh, those kind of things tend to stick in the craw of an organization.
0: I would think so too. All right, um, let's uh, we'll keep it moving here. Uh, Joe Q, regular listener and emailer to the uh, podcast. Makes a comparison between the Bears and the Texans. There's some interesting uh, parallels between the two teams that picked a one and two in the draft last year. Both played a QB they drafted in 2021, had basically identical win-loss records the last two years. You could argue Davis Mills, he said, better statistically than Justin Fields the last couple seasons, although Fields, over the second half of last year with the with the ground game, was amazing. He said, Bears keep the first-year head coach who won three games. Texans fire theirs. Bears stand pat with Fields. Texans uh, and trade out a number one for a big haul, Texans move on from Davis Mills, and they move up to get Will Anderson, and they draft C.J. Strouds. So he's kind of laying the contrast, the similarities and differences. His questions are this. Which team do you expect to be better next year and the following year, and why? Who do you expect to be better between the Bears and the Texans, the two teams picking first and second last year, John, 2023 and 2024, and why?
1: I think the Bears in 2023 because they've got quarterback going into his third year. I think the Texans in 2024 because C.J. Stroud will have a year of experience, and he was drafted uh, second overall for a reason. And I think they've got really good coaches. Uh, Everybody that had an opening wanted to talk to D'Amico Ryans, and he only talked to two teams. And I think – and I know Kyle Shanahan is is, uh, talking to him – three times about Bobby Slowick and listening to him go on and on about how important Slowick was to his offense and how there's no doubt he's going to be head coach. I've gotten really excited about what they're going to do on offense as well. I think Casario's done a good job of bringing in uh, ta- enough talent to help them at least double the win total. Based on the schedule, they should win, They could win another game or two, but we're talking about a rookie quarterback, and rookie quarterbacks come into rebuilding situations, generally don't start off with a lot of victories.
0: Yeah, um, do you think, John, when 2025 rolls around, uh, so three seasons from now, it would be Justin Fields' fifth year. Do you think he's a Chicago Bears quarterback in 2025?
1: Well, they said that they need to get him uh, receivers. They've worked hard to get him receivers. And if he's not better at throwing the ball and their passing game doesn't improve, I'm going to say he's gone. And Matt Eberflus is gone. And whoever's the offensive coordinator would be gone in 2025 if they continued to struggle.
0: All right. Last one, John, in the mailbag here. And we appreciate everybody sending in questions. I'm looking at three or four more that we're just, we're, we're going to roll over. Um jp uh, i'm sorry J.R. cortez emails in john says hey sean is our good friend john a liar i believe he caught some hell a few weeks back for quote loving all the teams from texas end quote when the spurs won the draft lottery yet on the last podcast he said he hates the rangers correct me if i'm wrong but don't the rangers play in texas confused like john Jr. LOL.
1: Can I hate the Rangers and still hope if it's not the Astros, it's the Rangers? I hate the Rangers. I want the Astros to beat them like a drum, but if the Astros aren't going to win, say say there's a choice of the Astros not going to the World. If the Astros don't make the World Series, do I want the text? The Rangers too, yeah, I'd love to see the Rangers get another shot at winning the World Series, even though I hate them. I'm no big fan of the Cowboys, but if it's not the Texans, I'd like to see the Cowboys getting another Super Bowl because okay. probably three quarters of the country yeah. is not alive the last time they played in the championship game.
0: You're you're veering off in some territory now, man, that you could you could get you could get to a place. Now you grew up in Waco, so maybe I shouldn't say that. I grew up in the Northeast. I'm conditioned to hate the Cowboys unequivocally. The Rangers are a different story. Obviously, they're not America's team or anything. I'm rooting for the Rangers. I like the Rangers being good because it adds meaning to the games coming up against them, John. Like it would be fun to have a good old-fashioned divisional race with the in-state rival for the I I mean, I know they did in 2015, but like this would be the first one that if this holds up, this is the two of them battling it out for the AL West while they're both. If they hold this up two of the top four or five teams in all of baseball, that would be a whole lot of fun to have meaningful, meaningful games being played. And and I guess they have three series left, one in early July, one in late July, and then another one in, I think, Labor Day weekend. They play the Rangers. I wish they were playing towards the end of the regular season. But I'll tell you right now, the Rangers get to the World Series. I'm rooting for whoever's coming out of the National League. Like I'm rooting for them to be good, to create relevant content for me as a radio host, selfishly. Um, but I can't root for them if they get to the World Series. You're kind of the opposite. You like you hope they suck all the time, except if they get to the World Series, you want them to win.
1: Yeah, I want the Astros to beat them, and I hope we don't get to a point where the Rangers beat the Astros. And I go, Sean, you got exactly what you wanted.
0: <laughs> the Rangers being you good. had a lot of
1: fun. I
0: know you play with fire, you get burnt. This Degrom thing, though, John, is huge for them. This, it uh, is uh, Tommy John surgery. Five years, 185 mil they gave him.
1: Well Steven Strasberg pitched 32 innings and he got took for 245 million. They don't think he'll ever pitch again. Think about that 245 million 32 innings and DeGrom, Grom, if he comes back in 2025, I think he'll be like Verlander. And if I'm him, I'm calling Verlander and say, who did your surgery because I want him. Yeah and uh, so he could still come back and pitch by the way, I looked the other day, Verlander's 3-4 and four with a four three five ERA. Yeah. And uh, so I don't wish bad. Yeah, I do too. Yeah.
0: It would be fun to bask in that if the same team that let Verlander go didn't give Jose Abreu three years, $58.5 million. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah.
1: Yiner Diaz gets four hits, and then he's on the bench the next yeah. game.
0: Yeah, they, they've got to find a way to get Yiner's bat. And they, I, they, they can't go into July with a first baseman who's got – who's got a, an OPS that's 70 points below Zach granty's OPS as a hitter. Zach Granky has look a,
1: at the back of his baseball card. Yeah. That's what right, Jeff you know, Bagwell and yeah. Dusty Baker say, look at the back of his baseball card. Sorry, I don't Baggy. see this year's stats on the back of his base.
0: <laughs> <card." laughs> that's right. We need, we need base. We need some up-to-date baseball cards that include the first half of 2023. <laughs> so we can show them to Bagwell and, uh, and Jim Crane, um, all right, so there you go, H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. John, what do you got going on on your various platforms this week?
1: I have a column on uh, SportsRadio610.com about Damian Pierce and Devin Singletary and how they're going to they're excel under Bobby Slowick with this running game they've installed. And then I've got one about how pathetic their offense has been. They haven't been in the top ten in points or yards since Gary Kubiak was the coach. That was eons ago. That's how pathetic this offense has been over a long period of time. Hopefully that'll change with Bobby Sloan.
0: Hopefully so. All right, so we mentioned it before. Click that subscribe button if you could. Uh, John, I enjoyed it as always. Uh, Me too,
1: Sean. Thank you.
0: Do it again next week. Yeah, click that subscribe button. Um, And if you uh, don't subscribe to the podcast, we appreciate it. Give it a review, five stars preferably, but whatever you think about the podcast, reviews always help for it as well. But when you click that subscribe button, you don't have to go seeking it out. We bring it to you. We spoon feed you the podcast. Um, So we appreciate everybody doing that. Big thanks to our producer, James Jackson, our inaugural, our first maiden voyage here with our new producer, James, and we appreciate him getting this podcast and and all the clips out and everything, getting that out to you guys. Keep an eye out for that. There will be a video element to the podcast Um, if not imminently, then very, very soon after. We're kind of working with it right now, so that should be really good, taking this thing to the next level in time for football season and training camp here on the Utopia Football Podcast. So uh, for John McClain, for James Jackson, I'm Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. We will see all of you next week for uh, episodes of Mandatory Minicamp Week for the Houston Texans on the Utopia Football Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great day.